Christine Bentley, and you are listening to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are going to be starting off the show today talking about our eyes. Did you know that glaucoma often has no early warning signs? So we're going to be joined by Dr. Niru Gupta, a member of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society, as well as Canadian Glaucoma Society, and Christoph Polis, a glaucoma patient. Now they're here to remind us not to wait for symptoms to occur before you visit your eye doctor. Motivational speaker, author, and entrepreneur Elizabeth Correa is aiming to empower young women to live life with purpose through her memoir, If You Played in My Playground. It is a disturbing, shocking, hopeful, and inspiring story detailing her life as an abused child in and out of foster care, a survivor of domestic violence, and a teen mother. And she's going to tell us about the three C's that transformed her life. Musicologist Eric Alper has the top instrumental songs of all time in On the Record. And food media specialist Charmaine Broughton has some tasty ideas for Easter entertaining next weekend already. Yum, yum. Mm. Anxiety coach Tasha McLaren is going to tell us about her new book about the secret to finding happiness with anxiety and performing in our live studio sessions. We have bluesman Steve Strongman, who is nominated at the Juno Awards tonight. Mm -hmm. And don't forget, it is your last chance to win free double passes to the 2018 one-of-a-kind spring show and sale. Head on over to whatshesaidtalk.com to enter. Winners are being announced tomorrow morning. We have even more great contests to tell you about, though, so make sure to join us on Facebook Live every Wednesday morning at 10 to hear about them first. And we are going to take a quick break, very quick break, but don't go anywhere. What she said, we'll be right back here on 105.9 The Region. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. What she Now back to what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Did you know that glaucoma often has no early warning signs, no pain, no discomfort, no blurry vision? Our next guests are here to remind us not to wait for symptoms to visit your eye doctor. Please welcome Dr. Niru Gupta, a member of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society and Canadian Glaucoma Society, and Christoph Polis, a glaucoma patient. Thank you both for joining us today. Um, well, Dr. Nero, how is an ophthalmologist different from an optometrist or an optician? So the way I like to think about it is um, if you've got three O's, which is an ophthalmologist, that's the medical doctor who's trained uh, in eye care and who is able to manage and treat diseases and operate on patients with disease. An optometrist with two O's uh, is someone who is trained to screen for diseases. And an optician with one O <laughs> is someone who would fill a prescription and take care of the glasses piece. So what is glaucoma and how is it detected? 
Glaucoma is an irreversible cause of blindness. It is the leading cause of irreversible world blindness, and it is uh, a slow death of the nerve cells in the back of the eye that has no warning and no symptoms. So you, you could ostensibly just wake up one morning and not see? The loss of sight in glaucoma is usually very slow over time. So patients are unaware that the, they are losing the sight because the central piece, the piece that we read with, is the last to go. But they could lose a lot of sight in their periphery before the final stages. So, Christoph, why don't you tell us about your experience with glaucoma? Oh, I was diagnosed uh, when I was 14. 14? 14, which is uh, 46 years ago. And uh, I was grade 8. I, I went to doctor, to ophthalmologist, uh, due to that I could see rainbow around the lights in the evening when, when I was walking mm. with my parents. And I could see like a little bit, a little bit like uh, bad vision. So, and I, I was talking, and she looked at me. And she said, "You're fine. You're perfect." And when I told her about rainbow, she was very young. She took my pressure, and she said, "You have such a high pressure that in 24 hours you could lose your vision." And then my ordeal started at that time. That uh, I went through all kind of doctors. That was in Poland. They did laser operations uh, on my eyes didn't help for the pressure at all. Uh, 46 years ago, they didn't have as much as knowledge about glaucoma like right now, like Dr. Yeah. Mutta knows yeah. a lot and she helped and uh, yeah. she saved my life basically in Canada. Uh, so uh, they, they didn't, they couldn't do uh, nothing. Finally, they got uh, in Warsaw uh, Lagrange method from, from France. They did some channels in my eyes and the pressure was released. And then I, I had to emigrate from Poland, Barcelona and so on. So I went to, to Canada and in Canada I was getting like five different drops uh, because it started again. Uh, ah. the pressure on my eyes. I have the left eye is kind of damaged quite a lot. And, and uh, finally, uh, some Michael's Hospital hired uh, Dr. Gupta, who performed operations almost 20 years ago. Oh, wow. And after mm. that, she did uh, cataract operations, which was very difficult because having the eyes cut mm. so many times. I had five operations on each eye. But my I managed anyways to live normally, normal life, due to help from Dr. Gupta. I was running well, business, my children uh, could finish law schools, and uh, one of them, because glaucoma is like 50-50, you can develop it at an early age, which I didn't know before, and uh, my daughter, younger daughter was diagnosed when she was eight. Is it hereditary? Yeah, there's a very strong fam a very strong uh, hereditary component. So if you have a family history of glaucoma, so I know that there are no symptoms, but the main message is, is every single person who hasn't had an eye exam should be checked for glaucoma because it's not something you're going to show up at the door with. Uh, the major risk factors are high pressure. If you've got a family member with the disease, your risk of, of having glaucoma goes up almost 10 times. You're seeing high pressure. Does that mean people with high blood pressure are, no. are high pressure in the eye? And the only way that that can be detected is by getting your eyes checked. Like is that the puff yeah. test? The it can be. Well, you could get screened by the optometrist, mm -hmm. um, but but it could be a puff test. It could be direct touch. But it, but the other key is that 
uh, looking at the optic nerve is an important part, the optic nerve at the back of the eye. So he was talking about pressure. You were talking about pressure. So what exactly happens with glaucoma? I understand that the, the, the seeing part, the reading part is the last thing to go, but what is happening back there? The pressure in the eye is causing damage on the nerve cells. And the pressure comes from where? There's a fluid that is continuously produced in the eye and exits the eye at a, at a regular rate. And for normal people, it's a, a, an in and out that is equal. But in patients with glaucoma, it's very difficult for the fluid to leave the eye. So that's why <sighs> surgery has to so be done channels so, so that you open up channels so that yep. the fluid can exit the eye and then rest- restore a normal pressure. But 14 seems yeah. so young. Glaucoma, and people think know. that glaucoma is a disease of the elderly. Anyone can have glaucoma, can be diagnosed at birth, as at, at, in childhood, as an adult. And so I would say anyone who is old enough to cooperate with an eye examination sh- should be Checked. One. Yeah. And um, and as you get older, you want to go for annual checkups. And it really is important. And if you've got risk factors, so if you've got a family history of disease, you definitely want to be checked. That's what I wanted to ask you because, because you did. You said your daughter uh, was, was diagnosed as well. Who else is at risk? Is there a, a specific ethnic group that's more at risk than the others, like some of the anyone, other diseases? Any, anyone can have glaucoma. I mean, we have, um, there are uh, certain uh, ethnic groups that have a predisposition to a type of glaucoma that is maybe got narrow angles where it may be more acute, but glaucoma um, is uh, can be uh, seen in anybody. Is it reversible? The damage from glaucoma, once it's done, is irreversible. And I think that's the call to action. The call to action is let's get it in everybody who has the disease or uh, uh, let's get it while we can address it and prevent further vision loss. So the disease is about stopping progressive disease. Well, um, you were talking about the fact that you were diagnosed and suffering like 45 years ago or whenever b- before we were advanced. Now, in the last 45 years, have we made the kind of steps that if you got in and got an early diagnosis, which we're hearing about everything, prostate cancer and yeah. everything else, if you get an early diagnosis... You're going to live a normal life. We have the tools and technology now and the types of drugs that we didn't have back then. So with drops, not too many per day, if it's early disease, that may just be enough, a drop a day or a, or a few. If you need more, we have laser technologies that we didn't have uh, uh, 10 years ago that allow us to try to bring in some some new exit pathways for flow. And we also have surgeries that we didn't have before. So all of these tools are available to us. Christoph, what would you say to people listening to this? If somebody is diagnosed, they shouldn't panic, first of all. Like my parents really took care of me. They, they were looking around the world for, uh, for help. Mm-hmm. And they found. And I watch my eyes like every day. I wake up, I look, oh, I can see, I'm happy. Okay, and I have to go every half a year to Dr. Gupta, who is really mm-hmm. taking care of, of me and of my daughter. And, uh, and uh, you know, we can live normal life. But the first doctor told me, you're going to be blind. Just find a job to my parents. Yeah. So, <laughs> so everybody, them wrong. everybody, if you haven't everybody been, the message be is, if you haven't been checked for glaucoma, 
go out and get it done. Yeah. So where can people find more information about the Canadian family? Ophthalmological Society is a not-for-profit national organization that takes care of eye care and vision. Go to their website. There's a ton of information available there. We are the uh, the uh, national authority uh, and um, with over a thousand members and uh, work with governments and uh, all of the advocacy groups. So there's lots at the website. I just want one question. Is this a specialty where you have to have your family doctor refer you for an appointment? This is a specialty where you're, you can be referred by an optometrist. Okay. okay. Excellent. That's great. Dr. Neru Gupta and Christoph Polis. thank you for coming and nice to see you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Fashion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit kernsandco.com. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Our next guest is aiming to empower young women to live life with purpose through her memoir, If You Played in My Playground. It's a disturbing, shocking, hopeful and inspiring story detailing her life as an abused child in and out of foster care, a survivor of domestic violence and a teen mother. She's here to share her story with us today. Please welcome motivational speaker, author and entrepreneur, Elizabeth Correa. Um, Your story. Tell us briefly, if you can, about it. Oh my gosh, briefly. Mm. Uh, I tried it in the 400-page memoir, and that was hard. Um, okay, so yeah, I grew up in an extremely abusive household, um, you know, in the projects and in St. James Town, downtown mm-hmm. neighborhood. Um, you know, both parents were alcoholics. Both were extremely abusive um, in every way. Uh, that abuse started as far back as I can remember, and and that, you know, led to the pain and the anger and the sadness and the brokenness that I, you know, lived with um, as a child in, in elementary school mm-hmm. right through um, up until I was about 14. That's when you went, went into foster care? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's when I went into care. Uh, that was ex- very hard, very, you know, extremely hard. I lived out of garbage bags, you know, went from house to house to house and lived in over 10 homes in the first six months. Um, so that was really hard. I started getting into a lot of things like selling drugs and hanging out with just, you know, people who like myself were hurting Mm. and, uh, got pregnant at 16 and, uh, you know, was in that relationship, which was extremely physically and verbally and emotionally abusive, mental abuse, abusive, mentally abusive. And that went on for about six years. 
And then uh, I met another gentleman who I was with, which he was kind of a breath of fresh air um, at the time, considering what I had been going through since childhood. Uh, we were really close, and um, I, I kind of describe him as my first real love. And he was actually murdered in front of me, died in my arms. Yeah, I was 22. And then uh, it just went on and on until up until about my late 20s. It just it was one thing after another. One well, thing and, after and one another. of the one things after another was an emergency brain surgery. That was six years ago. And you that say, was the last thing that happened. <laughs> that was a gift. You it say. was a gift. How was it a gift? It changed my life. Like it was it was like instant transformation. Um, everything that I had wanted to be and everything I had wanted to feel was already wrapped up inside of me. And I, you know, along with that tumor growing in my brain that I didn't know I had, um, there were other things that grew with it. You know, these walls of anger and, you know, just wasn't able to trust anyone and pain. And, and so when they, it was like they took it out. It was like the size of a grapefruit. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know I had it. Thank, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't benign. It was obviously benign. Um, but it was very difficult surgery. And I feel like when they took that out, they, they took out all those toxic things and feelings and emotions and thoughts and uh, stories that I was living with up until that point. How much do you think the fact that you probably at the time felt, I could have died, this could have been, mm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. could have been fatal, mm -hmm. and I, I've been given another chance, so I want to make the best of it, mm -hmm. because I know so many people have gone through something where they've survived, mm -hmm. and it said completely changed their yeah. whole outlook on life. So how much of it you're saying, yeah. do I believe? Do you think might have had to do with that? Oh gosh, absolutely. Oh my goodness. That's, that's what happened. So I, you know, I woke up and I mean, going into the surgery, they said I had a, you know, less than 50% chance of surviving the surgery. Oh yeah. It was, um, I was hemorrhaging. So, um, it was, it was very scary. It was, you know, I've got two, two boys. Um, my little one at the time was, uh, he was four and I had, I was going through a very difficult divorce. So, you know, that was, it happened in and around that time. So, so it was, so you woke up from that, that surgery mm -hmm. with, with, and you, with a deep hunger to live. You said this was when you wanted to change 100%, it. percent. It was like, it was instant. So you, you searched for mentors, coaches, you mm -hmm. started to uh, research, you mm -hmm. went back to school. Mm -hmm. um, and now you say that there were three C's that helped transform your life. Yeah. And they start, they are community, collaboration, and lastly, consistency. Mm -hmm. Take us through those. Community. So community um, is, is how I live my life today. It's, it's, community is where you are able to find your voice. It is where you can connect with other women, men, boys, girls, whatever community you are in. Um, it's where you can vision, plan, and execute a, a phenomenal life for yourself with the support of mm -hmm. your peers. Um, everyone else in that, for me, it happens to be women. I, I'm you know, a coach, and so I've got a, a group uh, coaching academy. And we've, I've got about 30 women in that community. Um, and we are like 
soul sisters. We're seriously like soul sisters. Um, a lot of these women came into this community with ideas and visions and goals that they just weren't able to fulfill or something was going on. So the community is what uplifted us, one another, them. And then collaboration? Collaboration is, um, you know, kind of like what you guys do here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just, you know, looking at the bigger picture. Um, I know, you know, throughout my life, I try to do everything by myself. Um, even starting my business, I was by myself because I had, you know, it was, there was trust issues. There was a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to do this on my own. I wanted to call the shots. Um, not realizing the power of collaboration. So I host a lot of events. Um, in the beginning, I used to just, I was the only speaker at my own events and realized how much more powerful my events became, bringing in speakers, um, bringing in an event planner, you know, having a virtual assistant, a personal assistant, like those are all, that's collaboration, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. And consistency, the third That seat. is the game changer. Okay. So, um you know, we all have great ideas. I can promise you that just today, one of you in this room probably came up with an idea. And we're great at coming up with those ideas. And we're, we're even really good at talking about them. And sometimes writing them out. Mm-hmm. But the plan of execution is where we fail. Mm-hmm. So doing one thing, just one thing every day until something is done. So being consistent with one thing. I can use the gym, for instance. You know, January, the gyms are packed. They're full. February, they're still going. Towards the ending of February, first week of March, um, everyone's gone. So what do you hope people take from If You Played in My Playground, your book? So the book was actually, the book is, isn't about me anymore. The book is about what the story is doing for others. I can't tell you how many women have come forward with their own pain. And we see it in the news. We see it, you know, what's happening now. Um, women coming forward many years later. This book has been that tool, that thing where the moment a woman reads it, whether she's 70 or 17, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it happened to me, the sexual abuse. It happened to me. I kept it a secret. So I wrote my book to create awareness around the effects of abuse. What happens when that abuse is not dealt with? I became a product of that. And so it's just a tool to say, look, you don't have to be living with this shame anymore and the secret. Let it go. But and you live. also become a success story. So you are mm-hmm. a beacon of hope, I think, for so many people who will read your book and go, oh, my goodness, I can't yes. believe it. Now, you're also the founder of the DEVA uh, in You Group for Girls the and the mm-hmm. She Can and She Will Coaching Academy for Women. So yeah. where can people go to get more information about that? Uh, my website. Everything is there. Elizabeth Correa, um, C-O-R-R-E-I-A.com. Everything and there's connections there. to the book, and the yeah, book is available is on Amazon. It's, it's on Amazon, yeah. The e, uh, Indigo, the, the ebook, and you want to get? Yep. That there's an ebook as and well. There's a couple chapters in the city that has it as well, um, but Amazon is is easy to get there. Well, what mm-hmm. an inspiring story! Thank yeah, you. absolutely. And uh, we really appreciate you coming in and telling us. And we're glad you're doing so well now. This is an awesome, thank you, awesome story. Thank you. I'm and your boys are good. It. Oh, they're awesome. Yeah, my older one is music engineer and traveling, backpacking, and my young, younger one, he's I 10. I have one of those. Yeah. He started as a music engineer. Uh, yeah, really? <laughs> yes, yeah. I do. I do. Yeah. And it's, at first I was like, oh, really? That's what you want to do? But Yeah, I did passion. that too. Yeah. 
We do that. But now I've become the mother of. Yeah. Yeah. So All I'm right. So once again, the book is If You Played in My Playground. Mm-hmm. It's a memoir by Elizabeth Correa. Thank you so much for coming in and Thank telling us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com slash TC or call 416-340-7270. Welcome back to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm Christine Bentley. Joining us now is musicologist Eric Alper for On The Record. And today, Eric, we're talking about the top instrumental songs of all time. Sometimes you don't need words. And when words fail, music speaks. Hans Christian Andersen said that. So with that in mind, let's take a listen to the top instrumental songs of all time. That was Rumble by mm-hmm. Link Ray. It was a great it was a great film. My friend yeah. Catherine Bainbridge produced a documentary which actually just won the uh, Canadian Screen Award yeah. for a best feature length documentary and that's how I came to understand the importance of the native uh, nat- native Indians in the music community. I had no idea of the connection. I don't think a lot of people did until that film came out and you just saw, you know, people like Buffy St. Marie talk mm-hmm. about not only her influence, but the artists that those people influence. And Link Ray happens to be one of them. You know, without Rumble, um, the Who sounds so different. Punk mm-hmm. music sounds so different. You may not have the white stripes. And in fact, that single was the the only instrumental single ever banned from radio in the UK, not only because of the music, but because rumble meant, in slang terms, a gang fight. Mm-hmm. Okay, Booker T and the MGs, Green Onions. I mean, that's a classic. So, so cool. They were, of course, the host band for Stax Record, backing artists from Otis Redding to Wilson Pickett. The MGs hit was their signature song, though. Three minutes of Booker T's driving Hammond, Oregon, punctuated by guitarist Steve Cropper's Memphis-style Telecaster. Still such a great, funky song. The 
Tornadoes Telstar by genius producer Joe Meek. Yeah, Joe Meek, if you ever want to know what the music industry can do to somebody's psyche and destroy (laughs) them, there's a great biography out about Joe. He was very much a troubled soul. He was was an eccentric genius producer, and this single became the first single by a UK band to reach number one on the US pop chart. So not only was it the instrumental song, but it was the first song ever, and it didn't even need any words. And that is Edgar Winter. Were you a fan? Uh, you know, I think people I lived in the house with were fans. I don't think I was a huge <laughs> fan. But I certainly Edgar Winter. I so yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I certainly listened to it. Yeah, I mean, this was a monster hit. It hit number one on the Billboard's Hot 100 with the guitar featuring single. It wasn't really supposed to be even on the album. It was just an extended jam that Edgar Winter's band did, and they cut it down to three minutes. They stuck it on the B side to a track called "Hanging Around," but DJs flipped the the single on over to the B-side back in the days where DJs could do that without feeling any repercussions. The song lit up the phones and it just kept getting played and hit all the way to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. I'm the B-side of a single. Kate, B-side of Winner by an Australian band called Atlantis. Really? Really. Is that how? But I am the B-side. We (laughs) should do a segment based on people's names that were (laughs) B-sides. Um, that was Axel F. Harold Faltermeyer? Yeah, yeah. You, you got it. I, I was it's because to, it's written down here, right think, here. Right, <laughs> right. And it was like, so how do you say it? Do you say it, Axel? And then so, and so now, now you know. But uh, yeah, that's Harold's hit, of course, from the 1984 film Beverly Hills Cop, starring Eddie Murphy. Um, international number one hit just sounds so 80s and in fact um harold went on to produce a lot of like-minded electronic bands including the pet shop boys because they were such fans of harold's work that they uh they got him to produce their behavior album which critics say is one of the finest (laughs) electro pop albums of the 80s a little bit of a dated sound with axel f but it's one of those songs that as soon as you hear it puts you right back in the mindset of 1985 Well, this is all awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you next weekend. Connect with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler at whatshesaidtalk.com. Joining us now in studio is food media specialist Charmaine Broughton, who is here today to talk about some fabulous Easter entertaining dishes. And this is brought to you by All About Kitchens with showrooms in Bracebridge and Huntsville, you can visit allaboutkitchens.ca. So what are we cooking in your kitchen, Charmaine? Ah, we are springing into spring, yes, with some fabulous uh, recipes that I have developed. Recipes that um, use, you know, pantry staple items. So chances are, if you are entertaining um, this Easter and you want to recreate these Mm -hmm. dishes, chances are you have most of the ingredients on hand, which I think is like the first step to getting Mm. into your kitchen, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So the first recipe is my white bean and sweet pea dip. I love dips. Um, you know, if, if 
company comes over just to have something out that, you know, you don't necessarily have to heat up a little hors d'oeuvre and you can have, you know, a beautiful platter with this gorgeous green vibrant mm. dip. Um, so we start off with just one can of uh, white kidney beans. So you just drain and, rin- uh, drain and rinse them. Uh, some thawed frozen peas, and then we're going to add in some salt and paprika and garlic, and then your all uh, your oil of choice. So you could use an olive oil. You could use vegetable oil. Uh, you were just saying that you flax are seed. yes, are into the flaxseed flax oil seed. now. So you know, use whatever oil um, you you have in your pantry and what you and your gang uh, likes, and you just whip it all up in the food processor. So it's literally you know five minutes of prep, and it's healthy, delicious, and looks absolutely absolutely stunning on a white platter with lots of cut up vegetables. We were, you know, we were mentioning how, how, how we love our veggies now. And, um, and, you know, you could uh, also cut up some or make some uh, 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 pita chips or uh, corn tortillas and just dip away. Dip away. Yes. Do you know what I have made lately is cheese chips. Oh, yum. With parm? (laughs) parmesan and cheddar and just put them on parchment paper for about 10 minutes at 400 and they kind of and then you let them and then they get little holes in them and then you let them dry or Mm -hmm. cool off and they're crispy and you know this uh yum 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 this (laughs) sweet pea dip on one of those little cheese crackers dolloped on top with maybe some like pea shoots and maybe some uh, a very finely diced up uh a uh, uh, red pepper would make a beautiful like appetizer, and it would be like quite low carb. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Christine. Yes, <laughs> Christine, and I, Christine yes. and I are going to start our own actually, uh, show. Actually, last week I had made a whole bunch, and I was going to bring some in for Kate, but then I ate them all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what else have you got for and the Easter celebration? Then for a side dish, and this is great again for Easter or even just like on a random Wednesday. Um, they are my carrot fries. So. I actually think that carrots are really underrated, but they're delicious and they're so healthy and they're really inexpensive. I mean, you get a two pound bag for maybe $1.49 uh, at, at your local grocery store. And chances are when you purchase them, they will be grown in, can- in Canada, if not even um, uh, Ontario, yeah. right? So we all want to be eating closer to home. Carrots are a great way to do it and a perfect side dish for Easter. You know, you got... You know, yeah. the rabbit, carrots. The rabbit, yeah. carrots, okay. I should have left well, my yeah. jokes at how home. Do you, how, how do you make carrot fries? Because they're, they're pretty hard. Well, right. So now with when I'm preparing, you know, carrots or parsnips or anything like that, I actually leave the skin on all my vegetables. You know, maybe mm. not... Uh, Maybe not a rutabaga, but um, and one of the main reasons why I leave the skin on is for time. You know, so many people say they don't have time to eat healthy, so skip the step of peeling, right? And uh, that's where all of the, or where I shouldn't say all of, but a lot of the nutrients are right in the skin, all mm-hmm. the fiber and um, vitamins and minerals and so on. So I give them a good scrub, and then I just cut them up into you know matchstick or a wee yeah. bit thicker than matchstick sizes. Toss them with some uh, olive oil, a little bit of cumin, uh, some paprika again. You roast them off for about 30 minutes, tossing once. At what temperature? At about 400, okay. right? You want it, you want a higher temperature so they get um, nice and roasted. And then I garnish the platter again, served beautifully on a white platter with some crumbled feta and chopped fresh mint. Just a beautiful combo, fresh, uh, delicious, you know, beautiful with some lamb or salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids literally eat them like French fries. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, well, that's a good thing. If kids eat them like yeah. French fries. 
And then last but not least, the coconut white chocolate and lemon cheesecake. Now for this... Oh, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. And okay. this recipe just happens to come in at about a third of the calories as, you know, a traditional cheesecake. And it's so phenomenal. I use a blend of ricotta cheese and... Um, uh, brick style cream cheese and lemon and coconut drizzle it with white chocolate I'll have all the recipes on the blog and just you know happy, happy Easter eating and indulging and can we uh, rearrange her blog so that <laughs> recipe goes first <laughs> oh sure we can I think we can do that where can people go to learn more about you and what you do What's right your- so they can go to my website charmybroughton.com to learn uh, more about myself uh, but again I will write a blog for the what for she us. said yes you will and um, all the recipes <laughs> will be there and step and step instructions and again you know just using pantry staple items and there's no excuse not to be uh you know hopping around your kitchen okay get rid of her she's out of here now hop away hop away thanks Jeremy. my pleasure What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Fashion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit kernsandco.com. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Did you know that almost one half of those who feel they suffer with depression or anxiety have never gone to see anyone about it? Our next guest is an anxiety coach who helps people understand that anxiety is not a life sentence. And she's just published a book called Lies My Mind Tells Me, The Secret to Finding Happiness with Anxiety. Welcome Tasha McLaren to what she said. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, before you became an international anxiety coach, you say you lived in constant fear Mm -hmm. after being diagnosed with what your doctor called the youngest and most severe case of OCD he had ever seen. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, um, I was eight years old, so very young. And at the time, it was in the 90s. So um, there wasn't a lot of awareness for things like OCD and even anxiety disorders at that point. So I... um, I started out washing my hands obsessively. Um, I started to have obsessive thoughts. I was terrified to go to school. I I was tapping things, objects, eight times because there were eight members of my family. I was crying hysterically all the time. Um, I was walking through doorways um, eight times. I had to do everything in eights. Um, I was convinced that I controlled everything I controlled, you know, if I didn't follow through with my rituals, that people in my family, something horrible would happen. And there's, there's so many people that are suffering in this way now, and it's becoming even more prevalent now that I'm seeing this. And yeah, so for me, it was, it basically ran my entire life. It followed me through high school. 
I, when I was in high school, it turned to severe depression as well. I was terrified to public speak in any way, shape, or form in high school to the point where I even took a correspondence grade 12 English course so that I didn't have to speak in front of the class. So it literally ran every single corner of my life. Now, in the book, I think you talk about how to navigate all this and find Mm. happiness. But before we get there, is this something that is genetic? Did something happen to you? I think there are a lot of people out there, parents, grandparents, Mm. who wonder, okay, if I change the way I handle this child, would it change anything? Right, yes. Well, I mean... From from my perspective, I I did have some significant trauma happen to me when I was younger, and it was of a sexual nature, and so that was something that now, as I am talking to other people, I'm seeing that that was such a huge trigger for me, and um, it may have been the trigger it, because you lost your innocence exactly and your trust. Yes. And and so I'm seeing that connection with so many people. And and so in the book, I've created something called the tripod of anxiety. And what the tripod of anxiety is, is the three legs of the tripod that kind of hold that cause of anxiety up. And one of the, those legs is trauma and chronic stress. The other one is chemical imbalances. And the third one is mindset. And so how I've structured the book is it's actually divided up into those three sections so that people can weaken each leg of that tripod. And so its its main focus is on mindset because from my experience, that's the most important piece. But um, I do touch on a lot of the chemical imbalances aspect as well. And, you know, the way that we view chemical imbalances in the brain as far as anxiety disorders go is not necessarily the way that it is. Everybody kind of views it as this permanent, unchanging thing that that cannot be helped and, and is kind of this life sentence for people, which is incredibly discouraging. So what I've designed in this book is I've shared some of the things that have helped me in my own experience, one being um, magne- the influence of magnesium, actually. I've done a lot of research, and I've even talked to doctors and and naturopaths, and a lot of people are realizing that it's not just um, your everyday deficiency. It's actually very significant when it comes to anxiety and the neurotransmitters in the brain. And, you know, I explain a lot on how to properly get your magnesium levels up if you do have a deficiency, because a lot of people think that it's just enough to kind of go to the na- go to your naturopath or go to a health food store, grab a magnesium supplement and start taking it. But magnesium is actually not absorbed very well into the body. So it actually takes a lot more than that to get those levels up. And I'm finding that the people that I'm working with, once they get those levels up, things like insomnia are starting to dissipate, things like even intrusive thoughts and some of their rituals are start they're starting to really notice a lot of even OCD symptoms and things about panic attacks and dizziness and all of these physical symptoms that they're experiencing they're starting to really notice huge changes with what about the B vitamins because mm-hmm. i somebody said to me that they started taking the B100 the whole yeah. the whole route with a bunch of other stuff and that they noticed a significant difference in 
how anxious or how yeah. stressed they were. And for me, I haven't focused too much on that, but I have I have done some research with the B vitamins and well as well, and some people are finding incredible results from the B vitamins too. The the magnesium is basically the main mineral that I focus on in this book because of my own experience. I I was diagnosed with something called hypomagnesemia. And what that is, is it was my magnesium levels were so incredibly low and I was going to get weekly IVs. I was doing topical magnesium gel and I was not able to get those levels up. And And there's a lot of people that are kind of silently suffering with something like that, especially people with anxiety, because magnesium actually drains very quickly from the body and is very hard to replenish. And when you're stressed and when you're under constant fear and worry, it actually is one of the first things that starts to go. And then people start getting these physical symptoms and some people even get diagnosed with other things. Now, you also, you talk in the book about the tools and secrets to abandoning Mm -hmm. anxiety, but also about finding a newfound joy and happiness in yes. life. What was one of the ways you did that? Yeah, well, um, for me, I I started really realizing that because my anxiety literally ran every aspect of my life, mm-hmm. that I I let a lot of my desires and my dreams kind of fall, you know, and, and I wasn't honoring any of those things. So what I realized is that when you can start to view anxiety, and especially if you've been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, which is even a more intense version of it, such as OCD, um, you know, PTSD, things like that, especially if you have that diagnosis, you can really use the anxiety as being your benefit, your gift in life, as opposed to something that is, you know, constantly difficult for you to deal with. You can mm-hmm. view it as something positive. And, and for me, that's, that's kind of the first step that I found is that when I started to view it as a gift, I, I started noticing that I had traits because of my anxiety that really helped me in life, such as determination and being able to talk and help to other people as well. Mm-hmm. And I found this new passion of helping others get through it. And, and yeah, so for me, that's how I found that extra joy. So who do you hope reads this book? Um, I've designed this book for men and women, um, so it's not specifically for one or the other. Um, I've had great success with both people reading it, um, and it's really not specific to an age group either. It's just anyone suffering from anxiety or if you have a loved one that's suffering Mm -hmm. as well. It's really important to read so you can be supportive and help. So where can people go to learn more about the book? It's available on Amazon, It's right? available on Amazon and Kindle. Um, and you can also visit my website, TashaMcLaren.com. Um, I have an Instagram account and a business Facebook page as well under Anxiety Coach Tasha McLaren. So they can, um, yeah, you can check out any of my social media things, my website, and it is available on Amazon. And the programs that you offer? Are, yeah, are, are all, all on my website. All listed on there. Yeah. Um, and... They're all individual programs. Do you do some group programs? I haven't done group programs yet. No, I'm actually developing a course right now that's going to complement some of the things that I taught in the book. And right now I'm just offering the one-on-one packages. And are you, you're okay now? You're all good now? Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Happy and smile. You, oh, very. You healed yes. yourself? Yeah. Well, I mean, I had a lot of people that I learned from, and that's that's what I explain in the book is that, um, you know, one thing and one person didn't necessarily, you know, heal me, mm-hmm. um, and including myself. I had so many people around me and so many resources, and I researched a lot on my own, and I think that's very empowering. Well, it's been um, very insightful. Thank you, Tasha McLaren, Thank- for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com tc or call 416-340-7270. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Let's get down and get it on. There's no time like now. Let's get down and get it on. There's no time like now. Welcome back to What She Said. I'm Christine Bentley in studio with Kate Wheeler, and that was No Time Like Now by award-winning Canadian bluesman. Steve Strongman, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. And very elegant, I must say. Well, thank you. Um, Well, speaking of awards, you're nominated for Blues Album of the Year with your album No Time Like Now at the Juno Awards tonight. Hang on, we weren't going to say that. Well, I thought that you took out whatever we were going to say. No, no, I just said you were going to hang on, stop, 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 stop. Because your little thingy was going all over the place. No, I just, I was just reading it with Alex and he said, we'll just mention it. I didn't change the script. So... Because okay. we're just saying... So we'll just... We'll just... We'll okay, just start I again. Start again. Okay. Go. Welcome back to What She Said. I'm Christine Bentley in studio with Kate Wheeler, and that was No Time Like Now by award-winning Canadian bluesman Steve Strongman. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. Um, tell us a little bit about the album. This is an exciting album for me because um, I I tried to push the boundaries a little bit with this one. Um, You know, people have an idea of what they consider blues to be. Uh, You know, blues is a very, they put it in a box and that's sort of the way it is. We really tried to push the boundaries with this and there's a little bit of everything on there. There's some some gospel influence stuff. There's some some stuff that's more on the rock side of blues for sure. But that's kind of what represents blues as a a musical style for me. But aren't all musical artists sort of shifting the boundaries. They go from pop to country to, yeah, you know? I, I suppose so. And it, to me, everything seems steeped in blues anyway, whether it's pop mm-hmm. or, or even country at all. It, it reminds me of blues, and I hear everything like that. So uh, with this record, we just tried to sort of move those boundaries a little bit wider. So, uh, And it's called No Time Like Now. No Time Like Now, yeah. So when you were writing it, did you realize it was you know, Juno nomination material? Uh, I don't think 
honestly any artist actually ever sets out to go, I'm going to do this so I can get a, a, a Juno nomination. Um, but, you know, now that it's happened, it's a, it's a pretty amazing feeling and it's, it's great to get that kind of recognition. And mm -hmm. so, but, you know, I, I just try to be true to myself as an artist and uh, try and write great material that, that moves me emotionally and hopefully other people the same way. And anytime it can get that kind of recognition is, is pretty fantastic. So moving forward, any other boundaries you're planning on breaking? <laughs> You never know. Usually what happens for me, at least as, as a writer, I, you know, when, when I get into the writing cycle, that sort of overtakes things for a while. And then I put the record out into the world and I take a bit of time and then I come back. So I'm actually just starting to write again now for, for the next record. And I usually let the songs dictate how that's going to be. So whether it comes back to being more acoustic style in nature or, or more kind of electric uh, genre bending blues, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure quite yet. Are you touring? I am. I'm touring right now. I've got some upcoming shows actually um, in Ontario. I've got a mm -hmm. show um, in Midland coming up. And I also have a show in uh, in Kitchener coming up as well. And So how do people find out? How do they follow you online? What's yeah, everything? absolutely. Thank you for mentioning that. The best way to find out is to go to stevestrongman.com and they can see where all my live tour dates are and hear about the European tour that's coming up this summer Ooh, too. That sounds fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. It's been a couple of years since I've been back over there. So uh, right now we're, we've got France and we're working on some shows in uh, Germany and Spain and Switzerland. Oh, I'd be taking the whole fam. <laughs> I know. If my wife is watching, she's going to want to do the same thing. So. <laughs> and why not? I would love to. I'd love right, to. Yeah. Okay, so that is it for What She Said this weekend. Thank you for joining us. You can find all our social media links on our website at whatshesaidtalk.com. Singing us out now, here is Steve Strongman performing Love, Love, Love. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. No more standing around. I'm all by myself. I need a little help. There's no one else around. There's no one else around. No more feeling sorry. No more feeling blue. Well, I woke today. I'm arrow straight. I'm coming looking for you. And I'm coming looking for you. Love, love, love's gonna wash over me. All love, 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 love. Love, love, love's gonna pour out of me All love, the love, love, love No more feeling sorry, no more feeling blue Well, I woke today, I'm arrow straight I'm coming looking for you And I'm coming looking for you Nothing but sunshine, not a cloud in the sky No need to worry, no more lies Only love, love, love's gonna wash over me All love, 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 love Love, love, love's gonna pour out of me All love, 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 love Sunshine, not a cloud in the sky 
No need to worry, no more lies, only love, love, love's gonna wash over me. I'll love the love, love, love. Love, love, love's gonna pour out of me. I'll love, 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 love. Love, love, love's gonna wash over me. I'll love the love, love, love. Love, love, love's gonna pour out of me. I'll love the love, love, love. I'll love the love, love, love. I'll love the love, love. It is your favorite girl. That's right, it's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.